and this is Oh It's Cancer, the podcast. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Dr. Shelley Kay, who's actually my exercise physiologist that I was fortunate enough to meet during my time here at the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse in Sydney. Now, exercise physiology, I have to admit, is something that I knew absolutely nothing about until it was uh, suggested that I go and have a chat with Shelley, which I did quite early on in my cancer journey. And as we sit here today, it's been almost a year since I received my diagnosis of breast cancer. So what we'll be covering today is a bit about, you know, what is exercise physiology and how might it be relevant to you if you are facing a cancer diagnosis. Um, We'll talk a little bit about, I suppose, the benefits of exercise at various points during and after your treatment. And I realise that, you know, for some of you listening, it may be the last thing on your mind. You might be sitting there or lying there in bed going, geez, woman, I'm still partway through my treatment. How can I possibly be thinking of exercise? But let me tell you from personal experience, exercise from both a physical and mental health perspective was so important as part of my journey. I realise that it's going to be unique to each of us. But I'd really love to be able to share, I suppose, the positives that I found in case there's anything that you'd like to pick up and borrow as your own. So without further ado, hi, Shelley. (laughs) Well, this is um, fabulous to see Jenny looking so healthy. And that's what makes my job really satisfying when I see people go through a really tough time and come out the other end and just look so healthy. It's wonderful. Now, tell us, what exactly is exercise physiology? I mean, it's a very fancy title, Mm. but in practical terms, what does it mean? Exercise physiology is a science looking at the way all of the body systems work in relation to exercise. Now, it's a little bit different from physiotherapy, although we cross over. So physiotherapy is more like an acute injury response or rehabilitation And exercise physiology can share some of those characteristics, but typically it'd be divided up into musculoskeletal, which is your joints and your muscles, and it could be pain or rehabilitation, or metabolic, which is my background. So it's looking at a system and how you perturb the system to make a change, either in relation to health, bone, fat, muscle, or disease. Um, And it's a four-year degree for undergraduate. And many people that work in the cancer space have a specialty either by experience or, yeah, mostly experience. And some people have done postgraduate work in the area. So it's kind of the seed of a whole new area. But the people involved in it are so passionate and uh, really excited about the research progress. Does that answer your question? I think so. And I suppose from a, you know, from a personal perspective, you know, you mentioned at the start that one of the reasons you enjoy the space is you get to see the progress. What was it that initially attracted you to going into this field? Mm. Well, I have a background in um, exercise and the way it influences fat, muscle and bone and how that impacts disease. And I looked at uh, type 2 diabetes and then I had a job of uh, coordinating an international trial called the Challenge Trial, looking at people who had colon cancer and it's long-term investigating if physical activity and exercise can reduce the risk of 
the cancer recurrence. And that was so similar in the risk factors to type 2 diabetes, I found it a fascination. It's one of the cancers that is associated with uh, exercise in reduced risk of recurrence, and that's prostate, breast, and colon cancer. And that's not across all cancers, but that's pretty interesting. And because of my background in looking pretty much at muscle and abdominal fat in relation to disease, there were so many crossovers with colon cancer and even some of the other cancers, by the way. So my understanding of that physiology then just created this web of understanding with other cancers and informed a bit of an idea about why exercise might make a difference. Now, Shelley, if I just cast my mind back to, I think it was January when I first met with you. It might have been even late December, early January this year. I remember I came in, I threw on my active wear. I did my best to throw on a happy smile, but frankly, I didn't really feel that happy at that moment in time. Mm. But I remember I was still able to do some weights at that stage during chemo and, and things did change quite quickly after that. Mm. I remember I brought my bald little head in here with my hot flushes and I was hoping that you would be able to help me. Mm. I remember we, we did a bit of a consultation and then some uh, you gave me an exercise plan of, of some things that I could keep doing. Is that a typical way that you would engage with a new patient? How do people usually, I suppose, come to be sitting in front of you? When I met you, Jenny, my first read on you, you were so strong already and so determined. So not everybody comes to me like that. Because you were determined and had that history of exercise, I knew that I could work you hard. Now, it's difficult to give a person or communicate information that you may fall in a heap and that's kind of what you did at the end. So I'm always trying very hard to work out the right communication to not demotivate someone or buy into their anxiety but to give them the hope for where they are at the moment, knowing that there may be a requirement to adjust the exercise through chemotherapy. So the way exercise oncologists see that is that like an athlete, there are times where is that we need to change the exercise volume or intensity in relation to the burden of the side effects. And we didn't get to that fine tuning all that much, but you were so strong that you pushed it as long as you could and then towards the end you just had to take it easy and oh, and yeah. that's that's normal yeah. that's normal so the answer to your question is the person has anxiety and they have own estimations of self sometimes my message is you need to go a bit easier sometimes my message is you can do more and a lot of the time I'm trying to preempt the expectations that your chemotherapy side effects will require some feedback and adjustments as you go along. And I can do that with you. So some days it could be stretching because you feel so bad. And other days, at the end of the chemo cycle, depending on what it is, you can feel really great and you amp it up. But everybody's different. Everybody. And the treatments are so different. 
So it's it's navigating a lot of detours. That's a that's a really nice way to put it. And just reflecting on, I suppose, my own experiences, you use the phrase the burden of side effects, and that's actually a really good way of thinking of it. It's not something that anyone would necessarily choose to 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 go through. And it does, I suppose, add that extra layer on, on top of everything that you're trying to just get through. It's a lot <laughs> in yeah. summary. Yeah, yeah. I've had women in here who have read the guidelines for 150 minutes of aerobic activity and two resistance and have cried because they can't achieve that. So that's a great aim, but personalised exercise is adapted to the individual their physiological baseline and their treatment side effects and everything else going on in their life. It could be you've had a sore back for your whole life. It could be something like that. So it's a skill set that you learn as you go along and the, the communication with someone exercising with you is so powerful and important. It's really sad when someone wants to do everything and they can't. They've, it's a grief for loss of physical self. And then there are some people that I'm saying... I don't want you to listen to your body, which is a pretty out there message because with chemo-related fatigue and cancer-related fatigue, your body is telling you roll up in a heap and don't go anywhere and don't move. And from everything that I know from the science that we have available as well as the observations that I experience on a regular basis in the gym here, you have to fight that. And it's not like you're going to run a race but movement helps chemo-related fatigue. It's the top of the list. A drug doesn't do it. Rest doesn't do it. Sleep doesn't do it. The only thing that has been shown to really have a consistent effect is exercise, but it has to be good exercise. And that's not the same for everybody at every time. Shelley, when you say good exercise and acknowledging that it will be different for every single person, just like the cancer experience is, I mean, what's an example of not so good versus good exercise? Well, let's get back to those guidelines where it says 30 minutes of aerobic every day. So somebody that is forcing themselves to do 30 minutes of aerobics, that could be great for an individual. On another person, that could actually exhaust them and really demand their immune system a little bit more than they have available at that time. So good exercise from my point of view is when someone is really suffering from shortness of breath, which is a common side effect from various treatments, I say to them, why don't you try five to 10 minutes, have a break, and then when you're feeling better, do another 10. So it's redesigning it to make it adapted to the symptoms at any time by saying those 30 minutes can be broken up or an alternative would be resistance training which is powerful you can do five repetitions of an exercise have a break another five have a break and if it's working on that day you can do six sets of five repetitions and that's quite tolerable from a research and an experiential perspective from from the people that I see here but it's, it's trying to work out what's important for the person's health, but what their limitations are telling you are not possible. And it's a constant game of ping pong 
to say, okay, let's try this, that doesn't work, let's try that, let's, let's kind of ease that back a bit and let's amp something else up. It's amazing what people can tolerate when they're sick and the resistance training is one and maintaining muscle is so important because after treatment, people have usually lost weight and they think that's great. But from my perspective, I know persons lost muscle and lost fat. So at the end of treatment, people often get their taste buds back and they'll eat a little bit. People often say, I have a bit of a sweet tooth. <laughs> and then everybody's excited that the weight's back to normal and I'm worried because I know that there's more fat and less muscle. So one of the approaches during treatment, if you can maintain muscle, you've minimised the loss of muscle, which is powerful in metabolism and trying to modify your fat gain. It also accelerates your recovery and it really helps people with their um, treatment side effects. So that's good exercise. And then one other aspect of that is if this person is experiencing peripheral neuropathy, which is the tingling in the hands and the feet, then there's specific exercise for that, which is very much balance and um, various other things which we try, try from a lot of perspectives. So that it's taking it all apart and putting it back together. You've touched on so many interesting things there. I'll, I'll try and tackle one at a time. The first one was around, I, I suppose, modifying that exercise approach based on where you're at. And as you were talking, I was having vivid recollections of us standing just outside there in the gym, finding ways that I could still do my seated row without exhausting myself would yeah. be a polite way of saying it. And I remember thinking, crap, if I can't do, you know, three sets of 15 and a normal gym workout and then still do my 10,000 steps, then I was giving in, mm. that I was letting cancer take over my life. And I didn't want that. But I do remember there were a few moments where you, just like you described, sort of said three sets of five instead of, you know, start with three sets of five, then build up as you feel fit when I was post-surgery, instead of trying to do 10,000 steps in one hit because it was really hard some days to have that much energy, then do, you know, a couple of thousand steps in the morning, do some more at lunchtime, do some more in the afternoon. And whilst that sounds very logical and rational and, you know, it was very achievable, the sense of, I suppose, failure that I was putting upon myself in those moments to push harder and harder was something that I really had to work at. And I think the, the way that you said it to me and the way that you set out the plan made it feel less like a failure and kept me on track during some of those really, really hard moments, both physical and mental. So thank you. That was amazing. Um, and unlike some people, I lost my weight at the start of chemo. It came back very quickly though. Um, so my challenge was not necessarily, you know, make, getting back to a healthy weight. It was put down the fork, Jenny, like <laughs> you've enjoyed a few too many carbs, but we're, we're on, we're on the, um, the way back to health. Um, one thing that you mentioned was around the effectiveness of exercise in helping people to manage slash deal with the side effects. Mm. And I know for those of you listening along at home, the side effects are real, aren't they? And they're often ones that are unseen or people um, who haven't maybe experienced it themselves may not be able to appreciate just how impactful they are on your life. 
So what are some of the side effects that people would present when they come and speak to you? Mm. And how does exercise actually, I suppose, help people to, to manage those side effects? Mm. Cancer-related fatigue is very common with all treatments, whether it be chemotherapy or hormonal therapy or radiation. So we refer to that and that's good exercise can help that. Um, some of the other side effects are shortness of breath and people like you being really fit, it's quite anxiety provoking. And the reason for that is that the chemotherapy damages the bad cells, but it also damages good cells. It damages muscles and the little engines in the muscle called mitochondria. And you have muscles in your, your breathing apparatus, like, you know, all of your, your chest is, is muscle and you, you inhale and exhale. You also have changes in your blood vessels and you have changes in the way your nerves um, can be damaged by chemotherapy and some radiation. And some treatments do have a negative effect on your heart health. So in other diseases and in other healthy systems, we know that exercise prevents some of those negatives, but we also know that exercise can repair. So the way I see it is that chemotherapy has damaged some healthy cells. And what exercise does, it goes, okay, a little bit of stress, your body comes in and says, ooh, there's a little bit of stress there, I've got to send out the repairman, and that's what happens. Every time you contract your muscle, your body sees it as a stressor, and it becomes very acclimatized to sending out the stress relief brigade or the repair guys. And I always see a little, like, little Mario with a hammer and like running out repairing the muscle. So I see that as a really uh, important part of how exercise helps the repair. And research is actually substantiating that some of the heart problems and even the bone problems and the um, shortness of breath can be counteracted by exercise through all the known mechanisms that are there from exercise physiology. So bone health is one and... Um, it's really tough to improve bone density as a result of some of the treatments, but we know what to do. We know it from osteoporosis, we know it from aging, and unfortunately the public health message is weight-bearing, which is walking, but that's actually not true. Osteogenic exercise is impact, force, and jumping where possible. So resistance training is powerful for bone remodeling and a little bit of impact like if you can't jump because of pain you kind of stomp really hard there's lots of things that exercise does to counteract that in addition when people have a sounding board for hearing what other people have gone through and how they've improved it kind of normalizes it and so here at the lifehouse angelique the other exercise physiologist and myself we see progress all the time in the face of great adversity and it, it so inspires us with what we can do. It's exciting. So with that, we are able to allow people to anticipate recovery in a certain, in a certain way that that's likely to happen for them. So the psychological impact is profound, the anxiety and the depression that go along with the frightening diagnosis and the terrible side effects, 
exercise helps that too. And when you are with other people who exercise in this situation, yeah. it's empowering. It's like a silken thread of arms wrapping around you really because someone sees somebody who's been through something similar and and they see that someone else is going through it and they're exercising and it's normal. Uh, so that's powerful. The anxiety, I think, what we do with exercise physiology is we pay attention to the can-dos because mm -hmm. people have had so many things taken away. Yeah. And we say, well, you can do this and let's do this. You can do this. Maybe you've got to wait for a month before you do that or maybe you've got to wait for six months to do that, but you can do this. You can do a leg press. We can do it differently. We can do a squat maybe in six months at the gym, but right now we're going to do this. Does that kind of... It's, <laughs> it is so true. And, you know, having come out the other side of it now, and yes, I'm still in active treatment and I'm sure that there's um, a, a quite a long road ahead of me being quite realistic about the whole thing. The way that I feel from a physical perspective right now is so much stronger than six months ago. And one of the things that I think of when I wake up very early in the morning and maybe it's a little bit cold and I, you know, a, a pre-cancer Jenny wouldn't necessarily force herself to get out of bed and go to the gym if she really didn't want to. Now I remember every single morning when I wake up, remember all those times when you really wanted to do this and you couldn't get yourself out of bed and go to the gym. And as you say, do that extra leg press, put on those extra couple of kilos um, you know, with your weights, it's incredibly motivating to me right now to be able to look back and, and see the difference that that exercise program made in my life. It's kind of spurred me on to want to do more. See you tomorrow morning, Mary, for our 6.15 training <laughs> session. Now, I have a really specific question and you mentioned anxiety and depression. I know because a lot of uh, women in particular reach out to me through my Instagram page, which is, oh, it's cancer. Uh, and they're, they're, I suppose, in treatment or they're post-surgery, they're in that phase of depression. Uh, they often describe feelings of um, loneliness. So my friends and my family don't understand. It's really hard to talk to people about this uh, and a sense of, I suppose, despair. I can't do this. It's very hard. Things are really challenging right now. I'm in that black hole. For someone that may be in that kind of a headspace, are there any sort of words of advice or practical tips that you would offer as, a, I suppose, a bit of a, a sign of hope? Yeah, look, I find it when I have somebody comes to see me for an exercise program and they choose to have a home program, which wasn't Jenny because she was still going to the gym and that was awesome up to COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the social support that comes from a group of people that get it without talking about it is powerful for those who feel so isolated and depressed. In addition, someone like myself and Angelique, we know this space so we're the next support system where somebody might not have an understanding from elsewhere. I think the oncologists at many, certainly here at Chris O'Brien, they are so supportive of exercise. Not all of them but, but most are really supportive of exercise and that's another 
um, area where an individual can um, find some support. It may be from certainly Jenny's podcast who puts the real face to what this is about. It could be a friend who's been through it, so long as that friend is supportive in the way that you need. Because sometimes I think you might, well, I was trying to put people in touch with Jenny and it was a younger person who was here and trying to identify with other younger women when we had a few older women in our groups here. And some of the comments were that there are some real negatives when you get some groups together and they really focus on fear-provoking topics and that can be quite toxic. So being selective about who you are able to have conversations with is something that I advise and just exercise itself is powerful in that you can still achieve something if you know what's right for you to aim for. Just the physical achievement of going for a walk when you feel really bad is something and empowering. And as a woman, if you can feel stronger with weight training, that to me I observe many who feel that that gives them a sense of themselves, that they are stronger. So when I meet people for the first time and I say, what's important to you? 90% say, I want to be stronger. So I'm not sure if all of that means I want to do weight training. I think it means physical and psychological. But the weight training itself helps people to be mentally strong and exercise itself is a stressor. And so that helps you to adapt to stress. So your body doesn't know it's, if it's a physical or a psychological stress. The exercise raises your threshold of dealing with stress so that when a psychological stress hits, you're already stronger. So exercise itself can really give back what you've lost, but the groups and those who are skilled in the space, they offer you your next support system. To that point, how would someone typically come into contact with an exercise physiologist? So, for example, I was referred here by my oncologist, my medical oncologist, who happens to be located about three floors up from where we are now, uh, after a discussion around me wanting to know what else I could possibly be doing as part of my treatment and recovery. Do all cancer hospitals or hospitals that do chemo have an exercise physiologist? How does that work? Uh, not all of the hospitals do. <laughs> uh, a few of them do. Um, it's a growing field and I have hope for the future. So my advice is, look, we're all learning in this space. This is so new. If you are looking for somebody, try to find somebody who has really experience a lot of individuals going through cancer. Uh, they might have three lectures at uni and that's kind of not enough. The ESSA website, which is Exercise Sports Science Australia, has a list of postcodes where you can find accredited exercise physiologists and on their list of expertise, they will note cancer if that's one of their specialties. But having said that, you can get really skilled exercise physiologists who 
might simply use good clinical reasoning skills to address some of the needs of a cancer patient or somebody who's had a diagnosis or they've finished their treatment and they're feeling well. So there's only a trickling of people who are really working in the space. I know Concord Hospital, there's um, I think St Vincent's has a little exercise group and here at Chris O'Brien. So yeah, not everybody has the expertise and I wouldn't even claim that I do. I'm learning okay. every day because it's such a growing field. So yeah, first place to start is GP, you get a, a referral and they usually come across uh, somebody in your local area that has um, some kind of uh, known uh, skill set in the space. And in your hospital, sometimes a referral from the oncologist to somebody that they know will also be a little security. So GP, oncologist, um, and there's a Facebook group on um, my professional website. And we always ask around to see who's got a specialty in a particular postcode. And something that you mentioned just before in terms of, you know, it's, it's different for everyone. So we all experience cancer differently. We experience chronic illness differently. We're all very different individuals. Every single person in the world has something unique to bring. In terms of the exercise journey, I remember there were some days where all I could do was to walk around the block. Mm -hmm. You know, I had the best intentions of doing all my steps, but I just physically could not walk beyond the block. Mm -hmm. But, geez, I forced myself to do that walk around the block mm -hmm. and it made such a big difference from a mental health perspective, probably even more than the physical impact of physical benefits of, of doing that in that particular moment. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you think is can be common for us to have the highs and the lows in terms of our physical capacity, even if everything else is constant in terms of our treatment? Oh, definitely. I think I may mention that taking your heart rate might be a good guide of your symptom burden. So there isn't a lot of research on this, but I might have mentioned that to you, Jenny. Yeah. On the days that your fatigue is really high, and it might be one of those days where you can do a thousand steps and not ten, would be a high heart rate when you wake up. And how do you know that? Well, you take your heart rate, so you put your fingers on your neck or your wrist and you see if you can get a heart rate in 60 seconds, or you could use your Fitbit or something like that. So what some of the people who work in this space have observed is that when you really are suffering from your chemo side effects, your heart rate's higher. So it's like you're already running a marathon. So if you're an athlete and you've run your marathon, what do you do? You just unload your exercise. The next day you might just walk or swim or go nice and easy as opposed to do another marathon. So you're on a marathon on chemotherapy. Your heart rate is up. Your immune system is taking a hammering. So if you're feeling that your heart rate is really high as you wake, that's a sign that that should be a lower volume day. And it's often a sign when your immune system is taking a big hit. Now, some people during their chemotherapy will be told that their neutrophils are low or some of their red blood cells are low, which carry your oxygen around your body. So that represents a physical impossibility for your body to be able to exercise well. So that's physical reason why you have to take it a bit easier. Mm 
So there's lots of reasons during chemotherapy that you cannot do a lot. So you can't always have a blood test, but that's likely what's happening. Your heart rate will be higher on your bad days, a little bit lower on your good days. And doing something is great, even if it's a stretch, like wiggle your toes. And as you go along, try to have someone to give you feedback, like, like just to be able to say, today is a bad day, what can I do? Or can I phone someone and meet them for a walk? Just something to get you moving as opposed to crumbling up in a ball. So there's, there's physical reasons why you'll feel better too. So, you know, that fatigue in other diseases, inactivity itself causes fatigue. So the cancer-related fatigue is related to the cancer itself and the treatment side effects. But the more inactive you are, the more that contributes to a change in your metabolism so that you do experience more fatigue because you're not burning glucose. When you move, you actually pump glucose into your muscles and you burn it for energy. But if you don't move, it's all just floating around your body and it's not being, like, it hasn't gone into the furnace to, to drive some energy. And then if you look at two months' time, you're in a better position if you're moving than if you do nothing for two months. You have lost muscle, lost your conditioning. I mean, you were amazing. I, I remember when you started after all your treatments and Jenny had a bit of a setback with the pain and we were trying to tweak that a little bit and it was really tough and you had to go right back to the beginning again. So that was very unexpected, right? That was super unexpected. That's actually, yeah, I kind of wanted to touch on, not just that, because I remember I did my back twice within a really short space of time. I I was bloody tired, frankly. Even up until probably maybe three, four weeks ago, I still remember there was a moment where on a rare occasion I'd actually been into a supermarket instead of doing my online ordering and I was carrying two shopping bags full of groceries just from my car to the lift. And let me tell you, it's not a long walk. I was exhausted just from that and that really upset me. Because I thought, oh, you know, I thought I was progressing. You know, I have been feeling so much better and yet I carry two bags of, and let me say small bags. I'm not really great at cooking, guys. Um, that That's all it took to just absolutely shatter me for the rest of that day. I think from a, not just from a physical health perspective, probably even more so from a mental health perspective, that constant, you know, stop start in terms of progress that you would have been accustomed to had you been exercising, you know, prior to a cancer diagnosis, that was really hard to deal with because, you know, you you write a plan, you do your plan, you see your personal trainer, they tell you what tweaks to do, they make sure your technique's right, you know what you should be eating roughly, whether you do or not is another question. But to be doing all those things as to the best of your ability and then having those constant setbacks, I found very challenging. And frankly, I, I still do. So although I am feeling probably as strong as I have for uh, honestly a good year as I sit here today, which is really nice to be able to say, there are still moments in the day where I go, oh, yeah, okay, I'm still not quite the same as I used to be. And actually I don't want to be the same as I used to be. But there are moments where I really catch, you know, catch myself in that moment and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, you had cancer this year, calm down a bit. 
I'm guessing there's some common themes, you know, as you say, from patients that you've seen over time in terms of that stop-start recovery Mm. and as people go into this whole life after cancer kind Mm. of situation. Mm. Look, in the area of pain, there's a concept called boom-bust and it's a bit of a personality thing. Some people are fixers and they they go, I'm going to fix this and it can be related to cancer. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to do it. I'm going to not lose my fitness. And that to me is a red flag because I can see that person's anxious and in a way the hyperkinesis, that means that very movement-oriented dealing with stress, is something that concerns me. So often when people are trying really hard to fix a problem, they'll go too much too soon and too hard and then they bust and then it's a self-defeating negative cycle where oh I did that and it didn't work for me and then you go back to the beginning so in exercise physiology we try to do things with progression and sometimes you have to go right back to the beginning whether it's an injury or your treatment has just taken so much of your fitness away and you say let's start at the beginning some people start off at two minutes on the bike and they're puffed but that person a year later is just flying by looking fabulous. But it was important to start at an appropriate level at that time, which was not the old you as you've referred to. It was the new start. So progression is the key. Every week, can we add a minute? Yeah. Started at two, got to three. Woo! And just travel that progression plan. And not every body system will be able to progress at the same rate. So often with weight training, you're looking at increasing your weights and that can pretty much happen a little bit at a time. With aerobic training, it could be a minute. It mightn't be intensity. It could just be any part that you can progress at a time. But yeah, you really have so much taken away and the people that want to do it all, in I find myself saying many times, On the days when you can't do something, I want you to just forgive yourself and give yourself a hug because there are times when your body cannot do it. The fine-tuning of do you do that the whole time? No. It's only on some days where things are hitting you so hard that you do have to wrap yourself up in a cloak of kindness and say, today's not my day. Let's see how I am tomorrow. (laughs) I make the analogy... You put the key in the car, you turn the ignition on. If it goes splutter, splutter, broom, you go, okay, I'm going to go for a little bit of a ride. But if it goes splutter, 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 you go, hmm, the car's definitely not going today. I think I might just take a break. But the the fine-tuning of that message is difficult because I don't want people to think that a down day is forever. It's that the down days do come but every day is a new discovery of what your body can do and a little bit will send in the repair brigade, right? It sends in the repair cells, it sends in the natural killer cells, the T cells, the things that fight COVID. You know, all of those cells are produced when you exercise, stress yourself just a little bit and then the recovery brigade comes in. Very wise words there. And look, frankly, I could sit here and listen to you for hours. I find this area so fascinating. Let's just do that. Let's just do that. (laughs) Where's the wine? (laughs) 
thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom and your time with us all today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think that this will be so beneficial for so many people. I've had so many messages through, again, through the Instagram page of people wanting to know, you know, what, what is this exercise physiology that you've written about? Um, how, how did you start to be working with the PT again? What exercise did you do? Because there's just so much variation in what you see and read online. Mm. As you say, from the 150 minutes a week, mm. mandatory, mm. go hard, mm. to do nothing because you're getting treated. Mm. As you say, it's really about understanding where you're at, where you want to be, and then finding that support network, whether that be a professional such as yourself an exercise group or even a, a mate to go walking around the block. Yeah. It's just about getting started mm. and staying tuned in, not just physically but mentally, what you're capable of doing each day. And as you mm. say, allowing yourself to take those moments, to take a break when you need it because it's so important, I suppose, for your long-term recovery to know that you're doing something that's going to be sustainable. So, Shelley, thank you very much. really appreciate it. Uh, we will leave it there for today. I hope that this has been really useful for those of you that are listening along at home. And if there are any other topics in particular that you're keen to hear on, then just send me a message via the Insta page, which is Oh It's Cancer. Thanks, everyone. This is Jenny. Have a great day.